Right now, it's Barry and Shauna Replay from 89.3 Moody Radio. At 17 years old, Rashawn was lying on the cement, bleeding out from a gunshot wound. At 26 years old, Rashawn was in a plush Hollywood mansion with a gun in his mouth, ready to end it all. All his life, he had been pursuing pleasure and fame, trying to prove his fourth grade teacher wrong, who had told him he wasn't enough. Rashawn and his wife, Denise, are the founders of Without Walls Ministries, and they have a passion to minister to our brokenness. I don't know about you. I still have brokenness. And to lead us to the beauty of Jesus, they mainly do that through social media. Uh, so, Rashawn, first thing, I want to know about your family. You've got a wife, Denise, and you've got three kids living yeah. in Oklahoma City. What's life like with your family? It's it's super fun. Like, we recently just had another kiddo. It's fun, but it's we have our challenges, especially having three under three now. Uh, one's a three-year-old, but we have two under him. Uh, and it's just been really fun, but yeah, definitely stretching because we've been having to, you know, change a lot of diapers and get here, get there. And it's been fun, though, you know, watching the Lord sort of gracefully give us the strength and give us wisdom. Wisdom in community, which has been huge to navigate through this new season of life. So it's incredible. <laughs> wow. What were you and Denise thinking with three kids under three? I would say, what was the Lord thinking? He just <laughs> kept bringing them. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but I know, right? <laughs> it sounds like you've got a blessed life. Oh, thank you, brother. How many kiddos do you have? Well, I've got two in their 20s. Okay. Kaylee Joy and Taylor. A daughter and a son. Nice. Okay. Beautiful. uh, They are awesome, awesome young people who love Jesus and are going after him with all their heart. And that's because, because of Jesus, you know, I mean, we, we did the best we could. We did some things right. We made some mistakes. You know, at the end of the day, you know, our kids have to be born again. That's not something I can do for them. Um, Amen. We can be a means. We can be a means of God's grace. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, I just remember one time just putting my hands on my kids when they were toddlers and just saying, receive the Holy Spirit. Wow. And That's simple. Yeah, yeah. You know, and there were, a, there were a thousand things like that that we did, and there's no, like, magic formula, but praise to God is all I can say. Tell me, Rashawn, what was life like, just like maybe the first 10 years of your life, just broad stroke, what, what was it like growing up in your family? Absolutely, Perry. So for me, you know, I reflect today and look back on how God has been so gracious to me. You know, I don't deserve to be where I am now. And I'm so thankful he writes our stories, you know, thinking that I'm a Christian blows my mind at this moment, you know, because I never would imagine that. And even to think that I'm an online Christian pastor makes me even more like, wow, at the goodness and glory of God. But I I started out as a young boy that was literally in a family that was sort of divided when it comes to to religion. My dad was a Muslim Hmm. and my mom was Christian and she was practicing Baptist, but she was sort of halfway in, halfway out. I just was so confused at that point where I didn't know what was true, what was real. And I went out to 
you know, pursue what my friends around me were pursuing, which was more of a hedonistic lifestyle. So I chased money, you know, as a, even a young boy, I heard it in the rap songs, you know, weed, alcohol, women. That was my pursuit from a young age outside of what I really charmed was football. Mm-hmm. And I was one of the guys that was too cool for school. And one day I found myself in a dark place. A few years after my fourth grade teacher told me to never pick up a pen and write again. And from that moment, I tried to prove a point to everybody. But yeah, eventually that proving a point would get me to a place where it was so dark and pointless in a way. Well, actually, it was very purposeful now that I look back. But one thing I, I just heard is you were discipled by mainstream rap music. Totally. And here's what I realized when I came to Christ. I read that verse, Psalms 1. It blares out at us what blessed is not and what blessed is. And it says this, blessed is he who does not walk in step with the wicked, nor take the way that sinners take, nor sit in the company of mockers. But it says this, blessed is he who delights in the law of the Lord. And he will be prosperous and successful in all he does. And The reason why my life was plummeting and it was empty and there was no strength is because I wasn't meditating and living out the word of God. And I needed him with all my might and strength and heart, but I just didn't have him, you know, and I was very empty and bankrupt and trying to draw from everything but him, which made me empty. So take me to that moment. Your fourth grade teacher says, Rashawn, don't you ever pick up a pen and write again. That had to be so wounding. And that wound sort of lit a fire in you, too. I'm going to prove her wrong. Yeah, it was so painful, brother. When I think about it, you you would think when you walk into a classroom, it would be a safe environment for you, especially when you have a teacher that has been entrusted to teach you in the the way that's right. But for me, it really was so detrimental to my growth and development from the standpoint, those words she spoke over me echoed in my life all the way until I was 26 years old when I found Christ. That's when I began to realize my identity, who I am in him. And that set me free from those agonizing words, that pain that I had walked through so many years. But I was crippled by doubt and insecurity, and I didn't want to ever write again. I was shackled in the shame of like, and it seems really, yeah, I just wanted to prove a point the rest of my life from that moment on. Like, I'm going to prove to everyone I can do this, I can do that, and I'm not as bad as that teacher said I am. Yeah, I mean, she was speaking identity into you, and that was the enemy's identity, She was saying, Mm. Rashawn, you're not good enough. And so you get wounded by this and your reaction is, I'm going to prove you wrong. Then your life is all about, you know, every day trying to be good enough. And was I good enough today? Yeah, exactly. And that's been my my whole life. Right. And what's been cool is that how God redeemed that. And I'm so grateful because now I'm a Christian author. Like I've had so many people say, hey, <laughs> send her a copy of your book. But I'm like, I'm going to continue to pray and, and expecting that God is, you know, even brought her to Christ if she wasn't in him at that moment, which. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's exciting how God redeems. 
So you're 17 years old. You start excelling in football. I'm sure this has become another way to prove yourself that you are, you know, you're a good person, that you you are enough, but it starts going to your head. Yeah. I began to become very prideful and egotistical when I started being very celebrated, you know, from people around me, whether it was, you know, at a gas station or at some pep rally. It didn't matter. I was allowing my identity to come from the applause of men. And, you know, the scripture talks about fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but a person is tested by their praise. And I began to get very prideful. And I remember what it drove me to to this point where I believed that I was untouchable. And one night, months before I was about to sign a national letter of intent to one of my favorite universities, University of Nebraska wow. had offered me a scholarship and I was pumped about it, you know, looking oh, yeah. forward to it and getting a lot more scholarships. But one night I was at this park with a young lady and had rap music blaring out and she gets a phone call. Brrr, and I reach over out of my pride and ego and I, I grabbed her phone because I knew it was her ex-boyfriend calling her. And as I pick it up, hello, he says, hey, why are you with my girlfriend? Why are you with my girlfriend? And I'm like, no, man, this is my girlfriend. You, I'm with her right now. Right. And then all of a sudden, unwisely, blindly, I give him my address, location where we were. And uh, we hang up the phone and unbeknown to me, 10 minutes later. A van peels in. Five guys jump out of this van. They're about 20 feet away. I get out of the car fearfully, but yet pridefully. And I say, just wait here. And I'm walking towards these guys. My heart's beating out of my chest. My mind's racing. Mm. So I'm getting closer to them. All of a sudden, this guy reaches for his waistband. He pulls out a pistol. He waves it in the air. I look up. I turn and I run. And I slipped and I fall. He stood over me. Boom, mm. boom, two gunshots ring out and I began to scream out and they go and jump back in the van. I get up and I run fast as I can. I run left to the left side of the car where the girl was, the passenger side. As I dive at the left side of the car, I hear the van pill out in the headlights and suddenly I hear these screeching tires er, stop again. And I'm thinking they're going to jump out and finish me off and, and take my life, kill me. Do you have two bullets in your body right now? So here's here's what happened, brother. At that point, as I'm laying on this cold concrete, I don't feel a flesh wound or a gunshot wound. I look up. This is the first thing I seen. That door was open on the passenger side. The girl was gone. So I'm out here in the dark all along. I feel this warm blood began to travel up my back. And at that moment, I went into a panic attack, scared out of my mind, heart beating out of my chest at that moment, because now I knew I was shot and I was weaving in and out of consciousness and I was just hyperventilating. It was just one of the scariest moments of my life. And that's what ended up happening in that moment. But here's what I can tell you, Brother Perry, is that when I began to think through what was happening in that moment, I thought of this. My coaches aren't here to save me right now. My friends aren't here to save me. My mom and my dad aren't here to save me. Even the girl that I came with is not here to save me. But God, I called out to him hmm. and I really know he heard my cry that night. 
he sent a man, yeah, and to pick me up and throw me in his pickup truck, take me to the hospital like 20 minutes later. And I was on the verge of death because I lost so much blood, but it was the scariest thing experience in my life for sure. Wow. So laying on a parking lot shot, and that's really the first time you cried out to God? Exactly. That was that cataclysmic moment, that dark broken moment where I felt like I was in the mud and mire. Like David said, I cried out to the Lord. He heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the mud and mire. That was what I felt that night. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Preach. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, Perry, <laughs> you preach it. <laughs> You recovered from being shot, went off and played college ball. Where did you play college football? So a little bit after that, all my scholarships began to get snatched because they were saying things to my high school football coach, who I forever love, but they were saying things, we don't want to gang member on our team or someone who's affiliated with folks that will take our players down the drain type thing. And I remember just thinking through like, wow, everything is being stripped from me. Everything I idolize, everything is being stripped. And then here's what happened. By the grace of God, he began to to restore me and, and he began to heal me. And I began to get a scholarship from you know, this school in Kansas, which is a junior college. And so I ended up going to a JUCO at first. And then from JUCO, I went to play at the University of Kansas under Mangino back in 2009, mm-hmm. which was actually a great Orange Bowl team. You know, that was one of their top teams in the nation at that point. So it was during that time when you were playing college ball, I believe, that you had a child out of wedlock. Yeah. So whenever I left junior college, signed to the University of Kansas, again, I was on my high horse again. Right. You know, God had woken me up years ago when I was 17 through that painful experience. But yet Rashawn had his life back in his arms, living for his plan rather than God's purpose. So I ran around again looking for for women. I mean, it's a big college town. And I came across a, a young lady who I was in love with at the moment. And, and, you know, I tried to numb the inward pain that I was really dealing with, with weed, alcohol and having sex out of marriage. And unbeknown to me, weeks later, oh, we're pregnant. And at that moment, I got really scared because I was not ready to be a dad. That was the last thing on my mind. And I'm thankful that it did happen that way. And here's what I want to say. Man, he uses even a young lady I was one of those boyfriends that was trying to say, hey, do you, are you sure you want to have this kid? Like I was trying to, you know, provoke her and have her consider not having him. And I didn't know what I was doing at that point. But by the grace of God, I'm so thankful that he used her to say, because he's the greatest treasure I have right now in my life. So God used this young woman you were dating and got pregnant with to say, I'm keeping this child. Yes. So is it a son that you have from this relationship? Yes. His name is Jarrell. Does he live with you? He actually doesn't. We have a blended family. So they live literally maybe one mile down the road. And again, it's really tough because even though he's just a mile down the road, it's unbelievably hard to bond and be intimate 
with him the level that I am with my little boys, the three under three. Mm-hmm. And he just, they're an unbelieving family. And he's definitely in a influence and around folks. And I'm just trying to love him well and yeah. really continue to pray that we'll continue to grow our bond and things like that. It's just really challenging at times for me as a dad. And I could talk about that all day, but yeah. Mm-hmm trying to model and, you know, have moments with him that are similar to the ones of my kids, you know, my kids that live with me, sure. uh, my children, but man, it's so tough at times to rebond and, but I'm trusting God through it. Yeah. Well, there's, there's people listening right now who are totally right where you're at with that. Uh, mm. I think of one friend of mine who, you know, he's got a teenage daughter and she doesn't want to have anything to do with his faith. And, yeah, uh, you know, it's just, and he loves Jesus, and, you know, life is not, as a believer, I like to say, I'm all in with Jesus, but I'm not all put together. Wow, so good. Hmm. That's, ooh, you preaching, Perry. <laughs> <laughs> that is good. <laughs> Amen. Wow. So, yeah, the Lord, that story's not over with your son, of course, and. Thank you, brother. Yeah, you just keep loving on him and praying for him, and there's another book down the road, perhaps. Oh, yeah. You joined the military as a medical officer, actually went to finish medical school. You would think that with that, you know, you had everything you wanted and you'd be happy. Totally. You know, I remember going off to Army Medical School and here, here I go back to this, Perry. It was to prove a point to my dad because he was military and he was an enlisted guy. He was uh, E5 in the Coast Guard. And what I wanted to do is to quote unquote prove my dad, hey, I can not only join the military like my dad, but I can also outrank him and show him, like make him proud of me. So I was looking for acceptance from my earthly father. And that's what sort of drove me to the point where I'm going to put my career around you know, pleasing my dad, one. But also there's this great security around being an army officer and I will live it up, have a nice paying job. I'll be secure. I mean, it's a great job of duty and honor. I mean, people love the military here in America. And I was just like, hey, this is what I want to do. So I went out to San Antonio, Fort Sam Houston and went to Army Medical School, commissioned as a lieutenant. I remember, again, discontent grew. And I'm sure we'll talk about that a bit, but it was just a lot weighing on me at that time was like, I'm not in my purpose. I didn't feel right. So you finish medical school, but you start comparing yourself with other people on social media and that pushed you to go AWOL. You know, why did all that make you do that? It was a lot about... There's this huge movement still to this day about find yourself, self-discovery, go and do what you want to do, live it up, YOLO, you only live once type thing. And I got myself caught up in that. And what I tried to do is discover myself through the lens of other folks on social media. But the problem about social media is social media. It's all about 
like you and mm-hmm. what you want to do and what your dream. So it's more about self-reliance than relying on, on God to guide us and things like that, where we find in the word of God. So I look at my cousin, my cousin was doing amazing things in LA. I mean, the guy had a, he booked a role with Zac Efron as his best friend and the role was actually a military role and the movie was called The Lucky One. And I was like, wow, my cousin's in Hollywood doing his thing and he's the only chocolate brother on the screen, like <laughs> only black guy on the screen. Yeah. I was like, that's really cool. And then American Pie, he was in that movie as well. And I was like, wow, I want to go live it up. So literally... I got livid and I called my cousin. I was like, dude, I'm done with what I'm doing here. I want to be out there with you. So I guess you would say discontentment, comparison, even a little bit of jealousy and envy drove me to go AWOL a bit and go out to LA and pursue my dream. So just real quick, how did you resolve the AWOL thing? You know what? (laughs) Gracefully, I had an amazing, amazing commander who was so... I would like to use the word compassionate. I guess I would say understanding, but he allowed me 24 hours to get back to the base Mm. after being gone for about three days or so. And I got on the next flight and got back there and did it the right way, finished my training and exercises. And I requested to go Army Reserve so I can go chase my quote unquote dreams and follow my heart as I serve in the reserves, Yeah, not the active duty component anymore. And in your mind, when I get to LA and I, and I achieve my dreams, I'll be happy and life will be everything it's supposed to be. Yes, that's exactly right. You go to LA to pursue your dreams and things start happening for you. Yeah. So I began to uh, accomplish, I would say. I would hang around with celebrities because my cousin would usher, he would usher me into rooms that I couldn't ever get myself into around people that I couldn't imagine it being around, you know, and if I were to bring some of them up, I think people would know them, but it's just what blew me away was that as I began to work and pursue and do this dream thing. I mean, I began to get the home in the Valley. I was a hype man for a guy named Soldier Boy. And I was accomplishing more than I could ever imagine. I mean, did you say a hype man? Yes. What is that? So a hype man is like a glorified MC, our host of a rap show. Basically, he's the person who hypes up the crowd and he works in between the DJ and the crowd to get the place pumped up for the artist to come out, the main artist. And that was my job for a guy named Soldier Boy for a bit. Okay, so somebody's rolling their eyes right now in that I don't know what a hype man is. <laughs> <laughs> it's always the guy that ad-libs, the person who's yeah. actually rapping. So they'll be like, yeah, hip-hop to the hibbit to the hibbit to hop. Yeah, like, you know, they'll be, their voice will come in and just echo what the rapper's saying. <laughs> I get it. But, you know, you got that success hanging around celebrities, but you became empty and suicidal. And take me to that moment when, you know, you're just, you're in despair, you're suicidal, you're sitting on the floor. Take me to that moment. 
So, yeah, I like to say often, and there's someone maybe in that place now listening in, they're at a broken moment, a broken spot, a broken place where they feel absolutely broken and messy. And I often say that brokenness is the place where God, he stops us. He halts us. He kills our progress and he causes us to see the dead end we're at. So then we can look up and see that all that we are, all that we have, everything that we do in and of ourselves proves at that moment to be utterly insufficient. So I like to say that sometimes brokenness is the place where he literally saves us. He breaks us to save us. I love what David said. He said, let these bones you have crushed, Lord, let them rejoice. Mm. So I'm thankful that God brought me to a moment. He brought me to a place where I, I realized that sin had promised me a whole bunch of fun things. It promised me fulfillment. But here's what it delivered. It delivered emptiness and, and death in my life. And he brought me to this place where I was like, wow, like I got to get out of here. You know, the girl that I was dating, she found out that I was in a relationship, emotional affair with the woman in the porn industry. And it was just a low moment for me because I love this girl so much. I had so many feelings for her and my heart went out to her. But again, I didn't know what love was, what true love was. I was just running after my dirty desires rather than, you know, delighting in God. I can so relate with this, Rashawn. And maybe you can relate with Rashawn. You know, I have pursued, you know, pleasure and applause and achievement to try to fill that space in my heart. And if those pursuits are anything but God, really it's that that's what we call sin. And, and that's really hell as well, because when we pursue what we want, you know, it just, it leaves us empty and that's hell. And really there is hell on earth, right? If we're pursuing, if I'm pursuing what I want and leaving a path of destruction because I'm selfish, that's hell. And if I continue on that path, it'll be a forever thing. But here's the good news. If, if you're on that path trying to pursue things that you think will fill you, gosh, John 3.16, you've probably heard this before, but let me make it personal. God so loved you. God so loved you that he gave his one and only son, his most precious he gave his only, one and only son, that if you would believe in him, trust in him, cling to him, rely on him, throw your life into him, you will not perish forever in hell. You will not continue in hell right now, the hell that you're in right now, but you'll have eternal life. And eternal life is a relationship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And when you come into a relationship with him, that's the beginning of eternal life. And so if that's your heart cry, just say, God, I need you. I've been pursuing my selfish, dark, dirty, self-absorbed life. And I ask you to forgive me for that sin. And I ask you to cleanse me and come in my life and give me that eternal life that this guy's talking about. So you've had this incredible experience with the social media message from the only Christian you knew, but that wasn't the point. You just fully gave your life over to Jesus. It was the next morning. Talk about that. Yes. After that experience, 
I literally wrestled with God like Jacob that night. You don't go from the verge of suicide to, to rainbows and puppies and mm-hmm. all that stuff in a given moment, right? Right. But eventually drift off to sleep. And in the middle of the night, about four in the morning, I wake up and I run over to the light, turn on the light switch, and I throw the covers over my head and I just start praying. I mean, the best I knew how, not eloquent words or, you know, I didn't know any Bible verse. It was literally just sincerely like a lament to God about what's next. And I remember this, it changed everything for me. I felt this pool to look underneath my bed and to give some context really quick. This home that I was living in in the valley was owned by the agency that I was working for. So there would be artists and talents and actors and model all types of folks would travel through that home and someone as i look underneath the bed had left a suitcase so i pull this suitcase out i crank it open er, throw it open and then there's a lot of trash there's a lot of dirty clothes it didn't smell too good but on top of this suitcase there was a book guess what book it was brother the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E. <laughs> That's the book for me. <laughs> yes. And here's what happened. As I opened it up, I go to the red letters. I didn't know they were the words of Jesus. They were just words that really stuck out as I opened up the book. And then I read these words. I read these words. If anyone wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves, pick up their cross and follow me. And then it says this. He that wants to keep his life must lose it. But he that loses his life for my name's sake shall gain it. But this is what hit me head on like a semi truck. Oh, what is it profit a man to gain the whole world? but yet lose his soul. And at that moment, I, I just I, I just burst out into tears and I began to cry to God. And I remember at that moment, I just felt this inclination to get out of that house. So I dropped everything. I grabbed the Bible, I packed my bags. I went over to the city bus. I, I took the Bible and I began to just read it as I'm riding the city bus for four hours, just nonstop reading the word of God as it read me. And it showed my broken my sin, his saving plan for my life as he brought Christ to die a brutal death for a sinner like me who was in need of a savior. And I placed my faith in him and I was born again on that bus Hmm. right there on the bus. He met me there. And then I got on the Greyhound bus downtown hours later, still with my eyes plastered to the Bible. (laughs) And then, you know, it took me 24 hours nonstop to Oklahoma City where I began to sleep on my brother's floor and I never looked back from that moment Mm. I was rescued and there was no returning thanks so much for listening questions or comments text us at 800-968-8930 that's 800-968-8930 